We're starting now to speak about Yom Kippur. A few days before Yom Kippur, it's the ultimate opportunity now to prepare ourselves for the most critical day of the year. After, after Rosh Hashanah passed, our last chance to save something is on Yom Kippur. The Torah says that on Yom Kippur, it's a special opportunity for every person, every Jew, to make a deal with Hashem about all his sins and to reduce his punishments and his guilt and basically... Okay. No. To reduce his punishment It's not good, this one. Yeah. It's like a spiritual mikveh. Just the actual day of Yom Kippur, as soon as you enter to that day, it's automatically able to erase sins. Which, what kind of sins we are talking about? We are talking about sins between a person to God. All the sins that a person made between him and Hashem is able to make a deal if he behaves in a right way on Yom Kippur. So he's able to achieve a great mechila for his sins. However, all the sins that he had between him and other people, Jews, non-Jews, Male, female, poor, rich, smart, foolish, doesn't matter. Everyone, every one of these sins, every one of these sins, it's an opportunity now to correct between him and those people. It's much wiser to contact the people before Rosh Hashanah, before we enter the judgment, and reach an agreement with them that in case we hurt them, we apologize, in case we owe them money, so we reach an agreement how, how and when we're going to pay, of course, with their approval. But it seems to me that many people don't understand that when you call a person to ask him for mechila, you have to make sure that you correct the damage that you made him to say a few words and the person is embarrassed and he says, okay, okay, machul, machul. Don't dream that you really have mechila. Because if this person has a scar in his heart and is very offended from you and is uh, paying the price for what you did to him every day, just by you calling him a, a minute before Yom Kippur and ask him to forgive you, that's a trick. It's a nice trick. It most likely it won't work. When a person says to somebody else that he's forgiving him, he has to be from his heart, not just from the lips. Because if he still suffer after the next day and the next month and the damage is not corrected yet, it's no mechila, no nothing. What mechila? 
That's why sometimes people call and say, I'm sorry, I spoke Lashonara about you. Only a fool will say, okay, I forgive you. He has to hear what he said, and to whom. Maybe he's losing money every day because of him. If he has a business, let's say he has a grocery store, and he sells uh, glad kosher meat, and he's very makpi that it's really going to be glad kosher, bet yosef, halak, perfect. And somebody said on the street, don't trust him. His meat is not good. Or if I would be you, I would think 10 times before I buy from him. I wouldn't eat his meat. You know, comments that people make every week. And now, a minute before Yom Kippur, he called him, Hello, how are you? Eh, no, Chag Sameach, Shana Tova, I called to apologize. You know, I spoke Lashon Ara about you and your store. A not clever guy would say, No, don't worry, I forgive you, no problem. In the meantime, every day, he loses business. People point at him as he machshil the rabbim, he makes them eat non-kosher meat. Tomorrow his daughter wants to get married, nobody wants to marry her. Everything is a chain reaction. One Lashonara can lead to thousands of distractions. It's not a joke. So, what do we see here? He has to ask him, what did you say about me, and when, and to whom? And the condition should be, I'm willing to forgive you in one condition, that you correct the damage that you made. If you don't correct the damage that you made, it's still up to the person to forgive. If the person don't care that he lose fortune, if he doesn't care that his reputation got ruined, if he doesn't care that people pointed him on the street, that means he's in a very, very, very high level. If he's willing to forgive such a person, then it's up to him. Then he got lucky. Thank you. Then he got lucky. But most likely, it will be very difficult for a person to forgive until the damage is made, is corrected. However, sometimes the damage can never be corrected. Never ever. Why? The person that made the damage have no control of of the damage anymore. How can he correct it? He said it to three people in his uh, living room, and each one of them said to three, and each one of the three said to ten, and each one of the ten said to another ten, and in less than a month, a million people knows about him something. And now his reputation is ruined for life. He used to be a rabbi, his name was the Rashash. It's interesting, there were two Rashash, Sfaradi and Ashkenazi. And each one of them has great stories about them, because they were very holy people. The story about the Rashash, the Sfaradi, you probably heard before, that he was pretending that he's a cleaning guy, cleaning the yeshiva of the Mekubalim of Bet El, and listen to all the Kabbalah that they learned during the day, and at night he answered all the questions that the rabbi couldn't answer, and he pushed it into the rabbi's book. And eventually they follow to see who is doing it, and they found that the guy that clean and serve tea, he is really the biggest chacham in Kabbalah. He came from Yemen, and while he was in Israel, the daughter of the rabbi was hiding all night to see who is doing it. And that's how he became famous, and everybody knew that he's a huge Kabbalist, and she ended up marrying him, and he became the Rosh Yeshiva, the rabbi, 
clear his chair for him immediately. He said, I cannot be a rabbi or somebody like you standing here. Even if you're not going to clean anymore, just the fact that I know that somebody that is greater than me sits in my yeshiva, I cannot be the Rosh Yeshiva. Today it's the opposite. Someone who doesn't know Aleph Bet wants to be Rosh Yeshiva. Doesn't care that the biggest Chachamim sit. Doesn't care. You know, but in the old days, people knew to evaluate themselves. That's why the, the Mishnah said, the Pirkei Avot, don't speak in front of someone that is greater than you. Be'makom she'en ish, ishtadel yot ish. When there's nobody there, you're the only one who knows a little Torah. No. So you get up and tell the people what needs to be done. Better you than nothing. But once there's somebody that's greater than you in a place, you have no permission to jump and say, okay, I'm going to run the show. Same thing in medicine, same thing in law, same thing in a court. That's the normal way of the every system, needless to say, in the Torah. So the Rasha Sfaradi, we all know, we have a Sidur, it's called Kavanot Arashash. It's really not one Sidur, it's four books. For every word in the Tefillat Shmona you have a few pages of names of Hashem. If you look at the names, there's many, many letters, you don't understand. It's harder than Chinese. You know how the Chinese letters, it's all like drawing, all kinds of pictures? It's much harder to understand this. But the Kabbalists, that's why it takes them two, three hours to pray Tefillat Shmona sometimes. They make kavanot on every word. One word, many, many kavanot in their mind. Very special. That's why the Siddur is four, not one, because it's very long. So he wrote it. Siddur HaRashash, it's called, for them Kubalim. Even though, you know, Kabbalah, when we say Kabbalah, we mean Ari, Ramchal, Gaon Mivilna, Ramban, Rashash, one of them. Rabbi Shalom Sharabi, that was his name. I had the merit more than 10 years ago to purchase Tfilin, it's called Rabbein Utam. As we have Tfilin Rashi, and we have another version of Tfilin, Rabbein Utam. Where there's only two sofrim in Israel that write this kind of tefillin. One of them stop writing after. So there's only one left. They write Kavanot Arashash. When they write the tefillin, it's, cost, it's very, very expensive to buy it. Because every name of Hashem, it's mikveh and all special Kavanot. It's special, it's called Sidur Tefillin Kavanot Arashash. How they do it. And they do it in one shot without stopping without eating, without anything, from the beginning to the end, which is very, very difficult to do because it's a lot to write, with many times mikveh in between. That's why it costs a lot more money than regular. And now, when there's no more people in the world that write such a thing, there's only one left. Maybe there's more that we don't know of. Then, of course, the value of this kind of tefillin is going higher and higher because it's hard to get. So that's the rashash of the Sfaradim. The rashash of the Ashkenazim his name is Rav Shmuel Strashun. He wrote the Shas Vilna that you see in every yeshiva in the world today. And his, his explanation is in the in back. Rav Shmuel Strashun. Why I tell you this story about him? He used to have a gmach. He had a lot of money. And he was lending money to Jews to help them out free of charge. He doesn't charge interest, of course, no fees, no nothing. And obviously everybody appreciates the Rav that he helps them out giving them money and they return it on time. And he has a notebook that he writes what time he gave the money to one person and what time, when, when is the due date. And he writes, whoever pays him back, he marks that it paid. One time he was learning Mara, and one guy showed up and gave him a thousand rubles. 
That was the, the amount of the loan. The Rav was so deep inside the Torah, inside the Gemara, so he said, okay, okay, leave it on the table. I'll take care of it later. And he got carried away more and more and more. A few hours later, he forgot about it. A few months later, Rosh Hashanah came. Rosh Hashanah, people pays their money back, or at least they come to say that they need an extension. And he looks, everybody paid back except one guy. He call up that guy, he say, hey, you never paid back your thousand ruble. He said, Kvod Arav, I came to your place, and I handed you a thousand ruble. You were sitting learning Mara, and, I, and you told me, put it on the table. Rav, that at that moment, his soul was somewhere else. He doesn't recall anything like that. He said, I'm sorry, you know, I only go by what I write. I cannot go by my memory. I don't have a record of you paying me back. So he told him, Rabbi, I'm very sorry, but I paid you back. He said, but do you have any witnesses? Somebody was with you? He said, no. Somebody over there heard the conversation, and you know the nature of people that they're very cruel sometimes. And he only say it to one guy. Make sure you don't tell anybody. And that guy said to another guy, make sure it's, you don't tell anybody. It's dangerous. I'm only telling you. And everybody say only to one person. And a minute later, the whole town knows about it. One time, the Chafetz Chaim wanted to tell a message, news, to the entire town. Now, remember, there was no internet, no Chazak yet, no Torah anytime. They put a message. Everybody know in a minute, like in a debate. A day before we decided to have debate, the next day the place is packed. Everybody knows. It goes for, you know, you have internet, it's very easy. Over there, there was no telephone, no flyers, no printing like today. So the Chafetz Chaim said, how will I tell everyone in one day what I want to tell them? He called up the two friends of his wife, <laughs> two women. And he said, I'm going to tell you now a secret, but make sure you don't tell it to anybody. Yes, Rabbi, of course, you can trust us 100%. He told them the message. The next day, everybody knew it. <laughs> Nature of the ladies, when they're bored, they like to talk. And sometimes they talk, dvarim betelim, things with no meaning. Did you see the scare that Rina bought for the wedding the other day? Half an hour they speak about the dress. I wonder where she got it. I wonder how much she paid for it. It was perfect with the bag, together, nice combination. You see, what? she has a great taste. Half an hour she wastes from her life about this nonsense. <laughs> I heard a good joke. No offense to the ladies. It says, someone who speaks Dvarim Betelim. Someone who wastes his time with talking nonsense all day. Which bracha levatala he does every day in Birkot HaShachar? One of the brachot is bracha levatala, when he's speaking nonsense every day. Which one? Baruch shelo asani isha. If you don't laugh, you didn't get it. <laughs> Which means... You know, a guy that learns Torah has time to speak nonsense. This is when the ladies, they board with the kids, they cook, they cut potatoes, you know, they talk on the phone. No offense. The lady smiles, they know I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so the Rashash, the Rashash, 
already now made this guy reputations wound. Everybody in town speaks about him. Years later, years later, first of all, he had a store. Nobody came to buy from him anymore. He went bankrupt. He closed his business. When the time for his daughter came to get married, nobody wants to even offer them any shiduch. So they sent, he sent her, him and her, they moved out of town. They moved to a place, nobody knows them, in a different, you know, far away town. After a few years, the Rashash opened one of the Gemarot. He see a thousand rubles folded inside. I want to ask you a question. What would happen to us, us today, in the 21st century, if we open up the Gemara and we see the thousand rubles from that guy from a few years ago? What would happen to our heart in the moment you open it and you find it? If we're righteous enough, it's guaranteed to get a heart attack from what we did to that person, knowing there's no way to correct it. It's a tragedy. Finish some, we murdered someone and his kids, innocent person completely. He lost his parnasah, he lost his shiduchim, everything. Thanks to him, he came to do a mitzvah and he caused the tragedy. So, in the, in the, in the middle of this, he called right away to the guy to come to him. The guy's not there. He asked people, where is he? He said, he moved to that town. He went right away to that town. He came to his house. He knocked on his door. Very big grave. Yes, I came to apologize. Gilad, not now. It's not, it's not in the middle of the lecture. Shh. After, after. We'll still be here. So, what happened? He tells him, please forgive me. Sounds familiar. Please forgive me. The guy was so frustrated. He said, forgive you? You destroyed my life. You want me to forgive you? Forget about it, Rabbi. Leave me alone. Goodbye. I told you you didn't trust me. What? I came. I, I lied to you in your face. What is this? So the rabbi said, listen, I'm sorry. I'm going by my, my list. What do I know? It's your responsibility, not mine. In the meantime, my daughter, she never got married, this, that. I lost my parnasah. So the rabbi said, listen, I'm not leaving here until you tell me what you want me to do for you to forgive me. He really wants mechila, not just, okay, machul, machul, no problem, shana tova. Rabbi wants real mechila. Real mechila means that he hug him and kiss him, I love you, like before. Let's mean real, real mechila. So he says... There's only one way to save my situation. Marry your son to my daughter. His son is the biggest chacham in the world, or in Europe, and the daughter is a girl almost complete ignorant. You know, this is the way it was. Either you're a big chacham or you don't know alphabet. A girl, she's working, taking care of the sheep and the chicken. She, now she has to get married to the biggest rabbi, future biggest rabbi. So now... <laughs> the Rasha said, what, are you serious? You really think it's going to be a match? So this is the only way to save my daughter. Okay, match, not match, I don't care. I have to save my shame and my reputation. When they see that your daughter, your son married mine, nobody will talk about me anymore. It's the only way. So the rabbi said, okay, let me speak to my son. His son heard about it. We have to understand this story. It's not a joke here. 
His son willing to sacrifice his life for his father not to lose his olam haba. Why? Because if you destroy the life of a person, what do you think? You come to olam haba and Hashem say, no problem, you tzaddik, you shomer Shabbos here, VIP is ready for you. <laughs> no way. The Satan scream, objection. What, what VIP? Look what's going on here. Oh, they show you a movie. Seven years of tortures. Him, his daughters, his granddaughters, people, any relative. You know, some, something just happened in Brooklyn two months ago, and another guy with the same last name already suffered in a Shiduchim. No relation. Just because they have the same last name and they're from the same community, if Shiduchim offers, went down tremendously. This is how it goes. So the son saw the girl, I guess he liked her, you know, it wasn't so bad, and he agreed, and they got married. Now I want to ask you a question. The only way in the history that this guy would marry a girl like this from that family would be in such a weird way. No Khan would dare to offer this girl to this guy. It would be a big insult for the Rav. The only way to do it would to create an unbelievable story because Hashem wanted do, this couple to get married. The only way to do it is to go against nature. Nobody would consider such a shiduch. This is what the Gemara say, even mamzer in one side of the world and mamzeret in the other side of the world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring them to the same intersection and make a match between them. Why? Mamzer can only marry mamzeret. If there's any napkins here, because I'm very swelling here, you know. Thank you. The air condition don't work. No budget? No, no budget anymore. It's running low. Huh? Running low. Running low, huh? One time I went to a shiur in Yerushalayim. As humid as it may get here, it's nothing compared to the humidity that sometimes you get in Israel, in the Middle East. The humidity is unbelievable sometimes, next to the ocean. So I was sitting in a shiur, taking the jacket off, taking the tie off, taking everything off. Cannot breathe over there. So <laughs> the rabbi saw that everyone is cannot focusing. Thank you. Amen. Good, good. I was, I was hoping to get another one. You see, the one who was trying to save a, a dollar on the air condition made us lose two minutes of Torah. Big loss. Anyway, so the, the rabbi said to the student, I know that all of you are suffering, but you should know that one hour learning with suffering, it's like a hundred without suffering. So one student told him, Rabbi, there was a lousy fan over there from the days of Antiochus. <laughs> and the fan is hardly moving, and I'm counting the second until the turns will turn back to my side. So one student said, Rabbi, so why don't we shut the fan? He's lucky I didn't have a gun there. <laughs> so the rabbi told him, don't be tzaddik arbe. That's already a show-off. Up to now, it was 
Righteousness. From here on, it's already a show-off. Hashem is not interested in show-off. What does it mean, show-off? Sometimes you come to a shul, and you see people, how they pray. How faces, wow! I look at the ceiling, I see there's no hole. It's not burned. Faces, moving, noise. It's all a show. Beloni, it's all a show. You don't need all this show to go like this. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm special. Ani Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva used to start to pray here, and he ended up in the other side of the, of the yeshiva, why? You know, yeah. But that was Rabbi Akiva. One guy come to the yeshiva, two weeks, you bring him wafers for dessert. Wafers is cheap. The yeshiva can afford sometimes wafers. No, no, I don't touch wafers anymore. I became Baal Shuva. I don't eat this stuff anymore. Here, have a cake. No, no, it's already Olam Azeh, or Termidai. I don't want to enjoy this world too much. <laughs> Two weeks, it's Shomer Shabbos. He already wants to be Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Next thing, he's going to eat carobs and drink water. People like this, they go high, 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 and then what happens? They collapse in one minute, and nothing is left from them. Some of them stay religious only because they're embarrassed to take the yamaka off, but inside they are dead. Why? Because they never build themselves in the right level. A person that wants to come closer to Hashem... What happened? What happened? What? A person that wants to get closer to Hashem cannot jump all the way from here to the, to the sky. He has to climb in a right way, in a decent way to build your foundation. If the building doesn't have strong foundation because they're in a rush, guess what? One day your neighbor's gonna be on your head. Why? The engineer was in a rush. Some shortcuts he made. In Israel, they build a place, a catering hall, in the middle of the wedding, mixed dancing with the disco music. All the floor fell with all the people, yeah. Yeah, I think 10 died, 15 died. But one thing that you may not know, that there was a girl that became religious, and she had her wedding with a Baal Tshuva, two Baal Tshuva scheduled for that night in this place. And two weeks before the wedding, her father came to her in a dream. He passed away. He said, I'm begging you, don't get married in that place. She didn't know what's going on. Her father is begging her. She came to the place and canceled. She lost some of the deposit. She canceled. They move her wedding to a different place. Two weeks before, you know, after you have invitation, it's not an easy thing to do. And that's obviously now we know why. She didn't have the merit to collapse with her guests. Why? Her wedding wasn't mixed. Hashem wanted a mixed wedding to get to that place because the place is about to fall any minute, and Hashem directed the right, people, the right people in the right time to the center of the floor. Why? Because the people on the side, they didn't fall. Only the middle, where the dancing took place. The Rambam starts. This is the beginning of Ilchot Shuvah. Every Jew has to learn it as many times as necessary until he knows it by heart. 
men and women. Everybody has to know it. Why? In order for you to make tshuva, you have to know the laws of tshuva. You want to be a tailor. You can become a tailor without learning the laws of sewing and kneading and all these things that they have to do. You want to be a shochet, slaughter animal. What, you just take a knife and slaughter? No. You have to learn a lot. Where, when, how, check the knife, what to check in the animal, before and after. So much to learn. You want to become a tzaddik? There's a lot to learn. If you only use your heart and you don't learn how to do it, you, you're wasting your energy. You mean well. Very impressive that you really want to be tzaddik. But if you don't know how to do it, no, in the end you achieve almost nothing. But Hashem, don't, didn't you see that I wanted with all my heart to be close to you? And Hashem will answer, that's why I gave Torah. What do you think I gave Torah for? If I would only want the people to get close to me with their heart, there's no point of giving Torah instructions. I would just tell them, scream with your heart to me and finish. There's nothing else to do. But obviously there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of instructions what to do. That means it's very important. If a person wrote filin with all his heart and he's crazy out of love to Hashem, crazy, but he forgot one letter in a filin from thousand letters, one letter he forgot that filin is pasul. But Hashem, I gave all my heart, but you did not follow divine instruction 100%. 99.9 in divine instructions, it's zero. Remember that carefully. You have 500 pounds of dough ready to make matzot for the entire town of Queens. And you kept it 18 minutes and one second. 18, 17 minutes and 59 seconds, you put it in the oven, fine. One or two seconds after, the whole dough became chametz. Or a piece of bread fell in it. It got mixed while you mixing the dough with the water. One guy came with a sandwich. Rabbi, you saw, you saw the piece flying. You jumped. Finished. You went in. Chametz. Go make bread, baguette, sell it in a supermarket. Chametz. Why? Divine is 100%. כל המצוות שבתורה, all the mitzvot of the Torah, בין עשה, בין בלא תעשה. Whether it's positive instruction to do a mitzvah, to do. Whether it's a restriction not to do. If a person violates one of them intentional, intentionally or not intentionally, when he make tshuva, when he repent, first thing he has to do is what? Who knows? When you decide right now, you, you, you just know there's a mitzvah you never did in your life, or there's a restriction that you violate every day or every week, and you want to stop. And you say, that's it. From now on, I'm starting to keep this mitzvah, or I'm stopping with this restriction. What is the first thing you have to do to start the process of the tshuva? No? Huh? Verbal, 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 verbal
You decided at 2 o'clock that you stop with that. 5 o'clock you have mincha. You go to the mincha. Chatati, aviti, pashati. You add one more word. I didn't put filin. You add on your own word. Yeah, but make sure you don't come back to that again. No, no. The first, first step, vidui. That means confession. That's where the Christian got the idea from, to make money. <laughs> with the father. Yes, son. <laughs> put 50 bucks first. <laughs> confession. All right. Sheneemar, how do we know it? Ish o isha ki yaasu mikol chatot adam, a man or woman who commit a sin, veidvadu et chatatam asher asu. They have to make vidui on that sin that they made. That's a pasuk in the Torah. So now every time you pray, and the chazan in the shul, after the tefillat shmona esre finish the vidui in 20 seconds, stop him, be a brave guy. Stop him in front of everyone. Excuse me. Stop. This is the most important part of the entire davening. It's mitzvah from the Torah, the vidui. Shmona Esre, Shmona Esre, right? The whole davening is for the five minutes of the Shmona Esre, right? Look, read in the halachot. The Shmona Esre, it's even not important like the vidui. Inside the Shmona Esre, you have Kedusha. There's machloket if the Kedusha is from the Torah or from the Rabbanan. Machloket. V'nikdashti betoch v'nei Yisrael, asmachta, na, yeah, okay. All the entire davening, the Rabbanan. The one thing that is from the Oraita is to do vidui. Rambam said, the more you do, the better it is. Why? It's like putting tefillin in the morning. 10 o'clock, you want to put it again. Allowed or not allowed? Allowed. 11 o'clock, you want to put it again. 12, 12.30, 12.40. All day, put tefillin. Good. Take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on, no problem. It's like eating one ounce of bread, making birkat amazon, half an hour later, half a, 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 one ounce of bread, birkat amazon. One ounce of bread, birkat amazon, 20 times a day. Not like us. You have mazonas bread? Why? He doesn't want to thank Hashem for two or three minutes. He wants to do it only 10 seconds. Michia, he wants to say. So he's trying to save two minutes from his time because he doesn't have patience for Hashem. So he asked the guy, do you have mezonos bread? Busha v'cherpa. There's no mezonos bread. Get it out of your head. It's, it's the biggest trick in history. All these bakeries and stores that tell you mezonos bread. 99.999% of the breads and the pizza and all the other is amotzi. Only if it's very, very sweet like a cake. They made it with honey or 100% apple juice that you put the bread in and you feel like you're eating a yeast cake, then it becomes a not. And for the Ashkenazim, even this is a mozi, because they make bracha on sweet bread, a mozi, on Shabbat. Only when the bread is mamash sweet, sweet like a cake, it becomes a not. Any other way, they say, but look at the ingredients, it's apple juice. Apple juice, when they made 100 pounds of flowers, and few buckets of water, you know how much orange juice they put? Like a can of Coke. 
to write in the ingredient that they put apple juice. But you really think they put buckets of apple juice? You will pay $10 for one roll. You know how expensive is apple juice like this? To put in, uh, they want to make uh, bread, apple juice. They put water and they mix it with a little milk or a little apple juice. Why? Because they know in Shulchan Aruch, it says that if you made the bread not with water, with apple juice or with honey and with all kinds of fruit juice, it becomes a not. But they meant that it's so sweet that when you eat it, you feel right away. Okay. The next thing, he has to promise that he doesn't repeat the sin. So rule number one, vidui. Rule number two, Hashem, I promise I never do it again. What happened if he did it again tomorrow? Again. Today he accepted 100%, Hashem, I promise I will not do it again. The next day he had a, a test and he failed again. When we go retroactive now, yesterday what he said, count or did not count? Now when we know he didn't keep his promise. No. No. That was a perfect tshuva for the moment. Why? Because he really meant it. However, we have genius Jews that come Yom Kippur to the synagogue. They pay a lot of money for the chair. And guess what? Guess what? They come in the middle of the davening. Everyone say, Chatati, Aviti. Everyone cries in the shul. If you go to a kosher shul, so there's a lot of crying. And all of a sudden, one of the things in the vidu is Chilalti Shabbat, Chilalnu Shabbatot. So this guy has a picnic schedule for Shabbat with his friends on his boat. Picnic with shish kebab. Every, the meat is already in his freezer. He has a Shabbat planned. Let's see Yom Kippur is on Wednesday. This coming Shabbat, they have plans with the friends to drive with the car to the marine, to go on a boat, start the boat, make shish kebab. What's the point of going to the shul on Yom Kippur? For this, they're going to get punished even more. For the chutzpah. Lying to Hashem, knowing that tomorrow you're going to be Mechalel Shabbat and you come to them and say, Chilalti Shabbat? Knowing to... If you really mean, that's it, I'm done with that. That's it. I'm never going to be Mechalel Shabbat. And two days later, something got into you and you couldn't uh, hold yourself and you light a cigarette. That's not a sin. You really meant it. Same thing a convert. He comes to the mikveh, 100% he means to be Jew. 100%. He learned everything. He passed the test. If he's a man, he was already circumcised. And now the last step to go into the mikveh. Chris goes in, come Avram. <laughs> Only when he comes Avram, only if he meant 100% that he's going to accept all the laws. If he knows there is one or two laws that he doesn't like, this is not for me. Oh, this washing hands with, with this thing, you know, it's not for me. I just rinse my hand and finish. Oh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's for me to give tzaka, the goy thing. You're not going to get a penny out of me. That's what goes through his mind. Any one of the laws that he knows that it's mandatory to do, and he in his heart knows it's not for me, there's already a big problem in his conversion. He went in Chris, he came out Christine. <laughs> but not Avram, for sure. Why? 
You can fool everyone. You can even fool the rabbis. The rabbis are people. When Shmuel the prophet, the Torah says Shmuel is equal like Moshe and Aaron combined. That's how great he was. Prophet Samuel. He comes to make King David a king. He sees all his brothers. He doesn't know King David yet. He's a shepherd. He has a horn with oil. He wants to spill it on the head of one of the guys. He doesn't know who's the king. He thought this is the one. The oil doesn't come out. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. This is the one. The oil doesn't come. He asked Ishai, you have to have another boy, no? Hashem sent me here. He said the king is here. The new king. Ishai said, ah, you know, no. He started to mumble. Because he doesn't want him to know that he has a son, the people in the speak Lashonara about him. We say in Ne'alel, in Ne'alel, when we dove in the holidays, we say Halel, right? Rosh Hashanah, we didn't say Halel. How can you say Halel when your eternity is being judged? Do you know anybody that they're going to, to decide a verdict if he murdered or not, if he's going to get electric chair or not, and he's dancing to the judge? <laughs> Come on. So Rosh Hashanah, we don't say Alel. But every time we say Alel, we say a Pasuk. Even Ma'asu Abonim, Aita Rosh Pina. What does it mean? Who knows? Even a brick, a brick. You know, when you build buildings, you have bricks, you put one on top of the other. A brick that the builders were disgusted with. They didn't want to touch it to use it in their beautiful building. So they threw it on the side. I don't know, it was defected. Maybe everything is orange, this is, is black. It's defected. It has holes in it, it's crooked. I don't know, whatever the reason is, they put it aside. Manufacture defect. Even ma'asu abonim, pina. This brick became the center of the building. The most important brick in the entire building became that rock, that brick that everybody threw away. Who are they talking about? David Amelech. Who wrote this Mizmor in Teilim? David Amelech, about himself. Everyone kicked me, pushed me, go, Mamzer, get out of here, go back to your ship. A brick that nobody wanted became the center of the building, which means the king of Israel and the world. <laughs> But why do I tell you this story? Because Hashem told the Prophet something that we have to remember always. A person can see only from the outside. A person can see to the eyes. Blue eyes, brown eyes, big eyes, small eyes, Chinese eyes. That's all he can see. What was he? I think he was Chinese. That's it. What, can he say what, anything about him? But Hashem sees deeply into the eyes. Rentgen. MRI. Hashem, see inside. The prophet Samuel, that was a holy man that heard the voice of Hashem. He couldn't tell which one of all the brothers is the real king. So for sure, what are we going to say? So the rabbis that sit in a court and this guy wants to become a Jew, why does the rabbi know what goes through his heart? They only have to follow what he says. But Hashem knows. And if Hashem knows he did not accept all the laws, he doesn't give him a Jewish soul. And if it's a woman, it's a, it's a critical thing because a Jew will marry her. And one day he comes to Shamaim, he has eight, ten kids. 
They all with pears and yamaka, they go with tzitzit, goes to yeshiva, go like this with their finger in a gemara. <laughs> and Hashem say, you brought 12 goyim to the world. Me? Goyim? Yes. And the truth comes out. You understand? Divine is 100%. 1% error, boom, defect the whole thing. So the Rambam say, the next thing he has to say, I will never repeat it. What's the third step? Nichamti, I regret it, and voshti b'maasai, and I'm ashamed. So vidui, confession, accepting never to repeat it. The third thing, to be embarrassed and ashamed every second from now on about this. Okay, that's three steps already. The more he makes vidui, the better it gets. Then, there are a few more steps to go. Fourth, if it was mitzvah that he wasn't doing, so now he begins to do it. That's the fourth step. If it was a sin that he's constantly doing, he stopped doing it. That's the fourth step. What comes after that? Yom Kippur. We have a few days before Yom Kippur. Many of you made tshuva this year or making tshuva right now, a few years ago. But there are still sins that are pending until this moment that were not erased from your file. Why? Because you didn't do it in a proper way. Comes Yom Kippur after regretting, after correcting and start doing or stop doing the sin, after the embarrassment, after the viduim, after all that, you need Yom Kippur comes Yom Kippur and delete it from your file. Until now, it was only marking the files that you want to get out of this big file. But you did not press delete yet. Comes Yom Kippur, delete. But sometimes when you press delete, it doesn't want to erase it. This file cannot be erased. You know it sometimes? And knowing, as, uh, knowing this, you're trying from here, you're trying right click, you're trying this. Doesn't come out. Cancer in a computer. Why? The files that are not erased call files of Hilul Hashem. Yom Kippur cannot delete them. When? When? Only the day of the death. Days of the death erase them. There's one more file that cannot be erased on Yom Kippur. It comes out of the file, but not 100% yet. Every sin in the Torah that the Torah gave a strict punishment of karet to the soul, the soul should get cut out of my nation, Hashem said, like Mechalel Shabbat, worshipping idols, eating chametz and Pesach, Gilui Arayot, all kinds of sex crimes, going into the Bet HaMikdash in the places that it's not supposed to be. There's at least 36 sins in the Torah, the Torah gave a karet punishment for it which means it's the worst sins in the entire Torah, because according to the punishment, you know how serious is the sin. The worse the punishment is, the worse the sin is. You don't get a huge punishment for a little sin. You know? The big sins require major punishment. Those punishments is called Isure Karet. Those Isure Karet will be deleted from your file only after years of suffering. 
not easy. If it goes easy, don't kid yourself. You should know right away that this, these sins are not being corrected. Every time a person is Mechalel Shabbat, so one day I'll be religious, Rabbi. It's still hard for me. I'm still trying to quit cigarettes. Right after that, I'll be. In the meantime, it's another year and another year. Every year, it's 52 Shabbatot. Every Shabbat, it could be a million of separate sins. He saw something, one sin. He wrote, every two, every two letters, it's a separate sin. He wrote, he came back, he wrote two more letters, another sin. He picked up the phone, another sin of karet. He lighted a cigarette, another sin of karet. He turned the fire on to make water. Turning the fire, it's another sin of karet. Putting the, the water on the, on the things to boil them, it's another sin of karet. Putting something inside the oven, heating it up, it's another sin of karet. It can be a million sins in one Shabbat. Multiply by 52 in one year, multiply by 20 years that he was Mechalel Shabbat. When finally he wants to become a Baal Shuva, his file, you need 5 million gigabytes to include the amount of files that you need to delete now. Mega computer, the size of this building, cannot store the amount of his sins. It's not a joke. Everything I tell you is 100% precise. You don't trust me? Come after the lecture, I show you the sources. So, because he has so many, the only way to erase them is to go through a period of suffering. Now, it all depends how much we knew when we made the sins. If we didn't know anything, then Hashem takes it to consideration and the punishments are much, much easier. If we knew about Hashem and the Torah, and we knew that Shabbat is a special day, we may not know all the laws, but we know it's a covenant, we know it's a special day in Judaism, and we ignored it. We are in a very, very serious problem. Very serious problem. So, as we continue, we have Yom Kippur, we have sufferings, we have the day of the death. Then we continue. Then the Kohen Gadol has a special thing which called Seira Mishtaleach. It's a special goat that they throw, and that's come to erase the sins of the entire nation of Israel. As the Torah says, Vaikra, Vitvadalav, et kol avonot bnei Israel. The Kohen Gadol make a vidui, not for himself, for the entire nation of bnei Israel. Whether it's severe sins, whether it's not so severe, whether it's intentional or not intentional, whether they knew about the sins, whether they did not know about the sins, whether they made tshuva about them perfectly, whether not yet, they do that, it's called Seira Mishtaleach. Then, we have the actual sacrifices of Yom Kippur which helps erasing the sins of the entire nation of Israel. Today we don't have Bet HaMikdash, that's why we have five prayers in Yom Kippur. Five, because that's what they used to do when there was Bet HaMikdash. We start Arvit of the evening, we have Shachrit, we have Musaf, we have Mincha, and we have Neila. five prayers. Which prayers out of the five is the most critical prayer? Neila. The Neila. The last hour of Yom Kippur, just an hour before the sunset, until a few minutes after the sunset, 13 and a half minutes after, 
This is the most critical hour of the entire year. 365 days multiplied by 24 hours. From thousands of hours, there's one critical hour that you can achieve the most. Even though you still did not make perfect tshuva, Rosh Hashanah looks very bad, your trial went very bad, everything is a sword, it's a sharp sword on your neck. Comes this last hour, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks all the angels in the court of heaven to leave the place. They all goes out. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu stands alone and judge each person and finalizes his, finalize his file. Until now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu couldn't do whatever he wanted. Because he's the God of justice. He cannot say something that you don't deserve. Because the angel, the Satan, the bad angels that comes to push you, to bury you as much as he can, that's his job. Everything Hashem wants to do with you, he say, objection, your honor, I'm sorry. Why you want to erase this sin from his file? He never made tshuva on it. He didn't give a penny tzedakah in the last month, Chodesh of Elul. He heard the rabbi 50 times saying in Queens in the lecture, Elul is the month of tzedakah. He didn't care, he didn't give. He didn't pray. He didn't do slichot properly, or at all. For him, it's a regular week, Aseret Yemet Shuvah. He goes to the beach with his boat. Everything as usual. Work is as usual. He continues to steal in a business. I know about the community. I don't want to say their name, even though I should have, but I'm not brave enough, that from Rosh Hashanah davening, an hour later, they went to Manhattan to the theater, people from that shul. Just an hour ago, they begged God, have, give us Shana Tova, have Mechila for us. An hour later, the rabbi of the place told me yesterday, with major disappointment on his face, an hour later, they were already in Manhattan in a theater, went to see a movie. Like nothing happened in the last 48 hours. Heart of, heart of rock, or rock, you know? A rock is softer than their heart, these people. You come, you beg Hashem to forgive all your sins, millions and millions of sins. An hour later, you go sit in Manhattan with this goyim and watching this dirty movie. There's no movie that is not dirty. Don't even think to tell me about it. Every movie that is made today, it's purposely dirty as is possible. Even PG-13. It's very dirty. So what's not dirty? What it should be RPG, not PG. <laughs> RPG, it's a missile to the heart. RPG, you know the Hezbollah, they have RPG? Add, add R to the PG. Then, shh. Then, shh, let's continue. There are certain sins that a person made between him and Hashem. There are certain sins between him and his friend. But there, are, there is another category which is the worst out of everything. It's a person that influenced other Jews to commit sins like him. For instance, a DJ's in weddings. All this Bukharian Persian dancing, the guy, the girl, with the wife of his friend, the next thing, another wife, who plays the music for them to make the scene. You know him, the guy with the headphones. Sometimes I look at them <laughs> in a kosher wedding. 
how they are like this with the music that they play. And I say to myself, this guy, if you only knew where he's heading to with his music and the thousand lousy dollars that he's going to make in the end of the night, he would give a billion dollars to, to erase this wedding from his file. He made a thousand to lose a billion. The genius. DJs in the discos or crews, guys who organize things or website against the Torah. Not modest website, evolution, website for Christianity, the seven-day observant, all this nonsense. The world is flooded with this nonsense, unfortunately. If he gave any help and assistance to this kind of people, directly or indirectly, it's falling in a category of Mahti Arabim. What does it mean, Mahti Arabim? And Maspikim Beadola Asot Shuvah. No matter what he does, it's almost impossible for him to make Shuvah. That's why I tell people, don't make, don't dig such a whole grave, very, very, very deep one, and then beg how you're going to get out of there. Be clever before. What's the point of filling up your file with negative balance and in the end work 40 years to pay it back? It's like people who get credit card. First day they get, they remove the sticker, they call, they confirm the card, two minutes later they're in Macy's. From there they go to this shop, to this place, to Manhattan, to Fifth Avenue. Oh, big show, you buy a car. <laughs> a month later he doesn't have money for the gas. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, the Rambam How can you make a perfect tshuva? By the way, the correction for being machti arabim, after you become religious, you have to dedicate as much energy and money and anything you can do to assist the public to come closer to Hashem, measure for measure. Until today, you used to host bed parties and making bad things against the Torah, knowing or not knowing how serious what you do. Today you became religious, right away you host lectures in your house, once a week, twice a week, every day. If you have a lot of money, take right away a million and two, make two million DVDs, give them to every not religious Jew. Now there is a Basketball game coming after Sukkot between the Knicks and Maccabi Tel Aviv. It's going to be 20,000 Jews going to this basketball game. 99% of them are not religious. A real religious guy don't, don't waste his time going to see a basketball game and pay $100 for a ticket. A real religious guy. Fake religious guy, they have time for these things. Real one, they're going to sit there with all the clowns over there. This guy with the earring, go ahead, dunk, shoot it, dunk. <laughs> If somebody can only film the faces that he was making in a game and show it to him in front of all the tzaddikim, <laughs> gonna go like this, Rabbi, don't look. <laughs> How do you know that the biggest punishment in Olam bites the embarrassment? Look at the two years old babies. Come to your baby, two years old. He did something he's not supposed to. Let's see, he turned the lights on Shabbos. He's two years old, what does he know? Shabbos, <gasps> wow, you touch the muktzeh, Shabbos, you make a whole scene. What happened to the baby? 
either he starts crying right away or he turns his face. Now you look at him, he turns to the other side. You come around, he goes to the other side. He sees that you're attacking him from all, you're not touching him. You're only trying to look at him. He cannot bear the one second embarrassment looking in your face, two years old. The neshama suffering, not the body, the soul. It's a, an immediate reaction. I told you once, a guy came to make a scene. I like to use this example. The guy came to make a scene. A guy passed by and said, how are you doing? He froze. Why? Somebody saw me. They're going to say on the news, somebody broke into that car. This guy has my face in his memory. Let's not do it here. Then the next day he came to make the same scene. A little two years old, staring at him. Go to mommy, here, take a candy. He doesn't want to move. He's embarrassed. <laughs> the next day he takes Christine to the hotel. He wants to make a scene. Oh, all of a sudden a dog. Somebody forgot a dog there in a room. <laughs> so he said to the dog, here, come, come honey, come, come, come outside. The dog doesn't want to move. One minute, five minutes, what am I, how am I going to get rid of this dog? <laughs> no matter what, he's trying to put something outside. He, he ordered food from the bar. He put it over there. The dog doesn't want to get out. He tells Christine, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have to leave. Why? He was embarrassed from the dog. He couldn't make the scene when the two black eyes staring at him. <laughs> the dog. He comes in front of Hashem after 120 years, which usually is half, but after 120 years, and Hashem show him that day. And now we see he comes with Christine, get inside. The dog is on the bed. They show, they show him his face in front of everybody over there. That's the court of heaven. He become blue. It's a needle into the heart. It's a, sword, it's a sword into the heart. Just the embarrassment of seeing it now reviewed in front of everyone. And then Hashem will give him such a shout. In front of a dog you were embarrassed, but in front of me you didn't care a bit. I am less than a dog for you. What is he going to say? Oh, 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 the embarrassment is a killer. The busha. Chazal say the busha. It's the number one killer in Olam Abba. Number one killer, the busha. One Yemenite guy died clinical death for 10 minutes in his bed. His wife came. She saw he's not reacting. He's not breathing. She called up the rabbi. The rabbi came. The guy's dead. Then after 10 minutes, he opened up his eyes. What happened? He begins to describe his trial. He made a whole tape about it. And he said, I was hoping there would be a table or something that I can jump under from the embarrassment I was dying. I didn't care about the punishments they're about to read about me. I didn't even care about this because the, the, those few minutes that I was standing there, I was dying from the embarrassment so much. He couldn't stand this. There's no way to hide. One guy in my lecture, Life After Life, he said, they show me my entire life. And I was very ashamed 
I never achieved anything. I did not complete anything in my life. The Goy. The Goy. What did we have to do? Seven laws to keep. And some mandatory things that every human logic requires. The Goyim are judged. Seven laws they have to keep. Most of these laws are mandatory. Every, every person knows that. You should not kill. You don't have to be a tzaddik to know you should not kill. Everybody knows it's a bad thing to do. With Torah, without Torah, with religion, without religion, you should not kill. You should not steal. You should have a court and police. This is all things that you see all over the world everyone has. Six out of the seven laws are already logical, which everybody should understand. There's only one, only one, that it's not so logical, which is Ever Minachai, that was added later on. The sixth one that was told to Adam, everybody has to understand that even without Hashem. The seventh one that was added in the time of Noah, it's Ever Minachai, not to eat the animals before the nefesh comes out completely. No. If you didn't have Torah, you wouldn't know that it's something bad. Today, we're used to it. Of course, we don't do it anymore. But if you didn't have Torah, you would never think that it's a, a something bad to do. Some of the things that today it looks very bad. For instance, if you see a guy that Chas uh, Shalom was together with his sister. Nobody wants to stand next to him. If you see him, you run away to the other side of the street. If he calls you, you pretend you're dead. If it's necessary, you make yourself dead, not to hear him. You don't want to even stand next to him. Why? What's so bad about him? He made something that everybody in the world knows. It's, a, it's the lowest thing you can think of, right? But really, if you think about it, it only became ugly in the time that God told us. Before he told it to us, there was no way for us to know that this woman is permitted and that one is not. Where? Where would we know it from? Today, it's very logical because we grew up with this. But before the Torah was given, it was okay. There's no difference. How do I know? This girl is yes, and this is my aunt, and this is my cousin, and this is my sister. What do I know about this? The animals, they don't care about these things. It's human logic. Comes the Torah and say, this is a sin, this is a sin, this is a sin. So, who is a perfect Baal Shuvah, the Rambam asked. The answer Someone who had an opportunity to repeat that sin and he was desired, desiring that sin and he's strong and he could have done it and he held himself and passed the test and he did not do it. And the Rambam gives an example. He has a girlfriend that he didn't see for a while because he went to do tshuva. Let's see, he was in yeshiva. And now... He meets, he meets her on the street, and he's strong. He's not now 100 years old. He's still young, and he's still desiring the girl. But he didn't do it. Why? Because Hashem said you should not do it. The Rambam used this example because somebody who is strong in this scenario probably will be able to pass any other sin, any other test, to pass it, not to fail. Why? If this is a hard thing for a person to do, when a girl that she used to be like his wife, now obviously the rest of the things is much easier for him to do. Then, someone who makes vidui, but at the time of vidui, he never intended to, to leave the scene. Like he said, 
גזלנו, גנבנו, and every day his whole business is stealing from the customers. His whole business is stealing. Sign here, sign here, hidden cost. His entire parnasa come from stealing. Or oh, he's a robber. He break into houses. Comes Yom Kippur, the rabbi say, Chatanu, everybody scream, Chatanu, Ganavnu, the Ganav scream, the, the highest, Ganavnu. That's called Tovel Vesheretz Beyado. A person who comes to the mikveh holding a dead pig in his hand. Goes into the mikveh. Tovel Vesheretz Beyado. That Vila won't do any good for him until he gets rid of the sherets. Now listen to this. It's getting better now. Listen to this. The Rambam says, this is the foundation of Tshuva, in Chod Tshuva in the Rambam, in the first book out of the six. Midarkea Tshuva, the ways of the Tshuva is, liyot ashav tzoek tamid, a Jew that repent, have to scream all the time. We don't do it because we're embarrassed. Scream to Hashem all the time. He's in his house, he's retailing, he cries, he screams, forgive me, help me in a davening. No, nobody does it anymore. Changing his environment, he lives in the village, he moves to Mansi. He, he used to be in San Francisco, he moved to, uh, to Bnebrak. You understand? That's called changing his environment. Sometimes changing his name. If his name was Herzl, how can he stay with his name one more second? Named after the worst Jew in the history. It's like calling your son Hitler. Hitler, come to mommy. <laughs> You're laughing. He's worse than him. Hitler wanted to kill the bodies. He wanted to destroy Judaism, turn us to Christians. They put his picture in Israeli Knesset, those fools. Many Persians didn't know. Innocently, they thought he's a hero. Why? Because he fought for the political rights of the Jews. They didn't know that he wrote a letter to the Pope, give me some time so I turn all the Jews to become Christian. That part they didn't know. Even though he wrote it and he's in his diary. Alt Neuland. You can get it in the library with his handwriting. They didn't know that part. They knew that part, they'll call their children Herzl. I know seven different Herzls. All of them are miserable, suffering every second of their life. <laughs> Same thing, Nimrod. In Israel, it's a common name, Nimrod. Why? The Israelis never opened the Torah once in their life. So they call themselves Nimrod. They thought it's a cool name. Nimrod was the king that rebelled against Hashem and threw Abraham to the fire. Nimrod. It's like calling your son Paro. <laughs> Paro, even the Chilonim knows that it's a bad name, because they do Lela Seder once a year. And they read in the in Agada, Paro was a bad king, so they know not to call their kids Paro. But about Nimrod, they never heard. But Nimrod was worse than Paro. So somebody like this who makes tshuva, Ya'amod Nimrod ben Yosef la Torah. Hard to believe. No. Oh, Haman. Haman Cohen. 
<laughs> Ignorance, sometimes we do foolish things. So, screaming and begging Hashem according to his strength. There's a big reward to a person that reveals his sins to the public. For instance, he hurts Yitzchak, and now he comes in front of everyone in the shul. Attention, please. I want to apologize to Yitzchak. What I said about him a few days ago wasn't correct. It's my fault. I wasn't careful. I apologize. He has a lot of embarrassment. The embarrassment erases sins. But nobody hardly can do it. How many people you see that they come, attention please, yesterday I went somewhere and I did such and such. You don't see it. Why? People cannot tolerate one second of embarrassment. They'll do anything to avoid the embarrassment. So, even though the Rambam say that screaming and praying is always great in the tenth days, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's much greater because Hashem is very close to every Jew. The hands of Hashem is reached out. Just reach your hand and Hashem pulls you out of the swamp. And instead of reaching his hand to Hashem, he's going to play tennis. I have membership, Rabbi. If I don't go, I lose $30. I hear this nonsense all the time, so I just want to share it with you. No, let's give a few examples. Sometimes Jews want to make mitzvot, but they are forced not to. The scenario, they couldn't, they didn't have money, they came a little bit late and the, and the mitzvah was finished already. Somebody came a second before them and grabbed the mitzvah. You know that if a person slaughter a chicken, like now in a kaparot. By the way, speaking about chickens and kaparot, it's better to do kaparot with money, not with chickens. Much better. Yes. First, it's not tsar ba'alechaim, eating chickens for no reasons. Second, it's minal ga'emori. This is not Judaism. This was copied from the goyim, all these things. So... Today, it's better to do kaparot with money. According to your salary and your ability, that's how much money you put for every member of the family. In the sidurim, you see, to do kaparot with money. And when, once the person goes around the head of the person a few times, he does vidu in his mind, and he asks Hashem to forgive him, and that's it. And the money is given to tzedakah. Much better. Especially when the shochet slather a thousand chickens a day, you think he has... You think he's careful enough not to make a taref with a knife? You know how it is, how intensive it is? There's lines, people are screaming, no, when? Again and again. They're not so careful. Some of these chickens become taref. Nobody wants these chickens. You want to give it to the poor people, but the poor people became clever today. What is this, chickens of caparon? Give it to your mother. Why are you giving it to me? <laughs> I once went to a woman to give her a bag of the chicken. It's good for her for a month. Yeah, a lonely woman, never got married, she lives alone. What? It's from the Kaparol. He started to curse me. <laughs> I once saw a guy bring 36, chi 36 chicken to one shul around Main Street. And it was put there, nobody wants it. Not one person took from it. Better to do it with money. All the money you do to your children, to your family, 
and then you put it in a bag and you give it to tzedakah. If you don't give it before Yom Kippur, don't worry. It's enough you put it aside, you can give it a day or two after. Don't touch it, it's tzedakah already. So, when a person wants to do mitzvah and is forced not to, what is the test here? Hashem check how painful it is in your heart for missing this mitzvah. I'll give you an example. The Gemara say, when Mashiach come and, every, and the whole world will, will get to the level that we are now after the Yetzirah and there's no more evil inclination, the Goim will come to Hashem. The angel that is in charge of all the Goim comes to Hashem and say, Dear God, my people, the Gentiles, they have a complaint. What's the complaint? They say that if they had the Torah like the Jews, they will also want to become righteous. But they didn't have. If they knew that that's what's going to be, they also become tzaddikim. They also want to see Mashiach. They thought Jesus is the Mashiach. What did they know? They grew up in a village in Russia somewhere. Now, why, why there's discrimination? They have no way to convert. They didn't know anything about Judaism, so they also want. They helped the Jews, they made roads, they made bridges. They have complaints now. So Hashem said to the angel, it will happen. It didn't happen yet. Okay. Tell them to build a sukkah and sit in a sukkah for one week. So they go in, they're going to run, they start building sukkot. No, you see a lot of sukkot in Moscow, in Paris, a lot of sukkot. <laughs> So then, after they finish building the Sukkot, HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings the sun out. It's the hardest day in the history. Like when Abraham had the circumcision in the third days, it was the Hayom, Hashem brings the same heat. And this, Goim, after one hour inside without the air condition, they go like this, they get out of the Sukkah and they kick the Sukkah. They say, what the hell with this Sukkah? What is this? So Hashem comes to the angel and says, you see, I gave them such an easy mitzvah sukkah, even this they can't stand. They kick the sukkah. That's the story in the Gemara. We have a problem with this story. What is the problem? Who knows? What is the problem with this story? The problem is, we're going to be in a sukkah in a week from now. And we know that there's one solid root in Sukkot, mitzta'er patur min If you suffer in a Sukkah, it's raining on you, it's freezing, freezing, you sleep there, you become sick. Bugs, mosquitoes, noise, I don't know, there's a generator there, is making so much noise, that's where you live. You suffer, your whole holiday is ruined. Mitzta'er patur min if you have sukkah somewhere else, go over there. If it's freezing, it's freezing everywhere. So you can move inside your house and sleep there. If it's raining, same thing. So if it's very hot, 120 degrees. Miami, 120 degrees, you made, wow, you're in a sukkah, you're dying there. You're with tire. So you go in to the air condition. So what does Hashem want from this going? They did according to the halacha. The Jews would leave the sukkah and move into the air condition in 120 degrees. 
It's no complain. מצטער פטור מהסוכה. If he stays in a סוכה and suffer, it's worse than going in. Some people think I'm going to sleep in a סוכה, I don't care, it's rain on me. או oh, I'll freeze. No. Now you're violating the rule of the Torah to the other side. Not allowed. So what's the problem? Why? Why Hashem complains against the goyim that they moved out of the sukkah? The answer is, they kick the sukkah. That's all. For that, they lose everything. When a Jew has a mitzvah to do, he checked in his pocket, he doesn't have enough money. He wanted to help somebody, he doesn't have money on him. Now comes the test. Oh well, some, you know, turn around, nothing, no, it doesn't bother him, nothing. The other person, it's fire in the heart. He even have tears of frustration. The amount of pain, it's been put on the scale of Hashem, and that's how he decides how much reward you're going to get. If a person doesn't have tzitzit, some people don't care. I don't have, I lost it. They don't care. One person doesn't have it all day. He's thinking, how will I get tzitzit? Where can I get tzitzit? We have tzitzit here for free if you want. Baruch Hashem, Ashrem. They worry about this. You know, when the Klosenborg Rebbe came from Europe in the boat to Union, New Jersey, that's where Klosenborg Hasidim made their community for the first time. He had one extra pair of tzitzit, and there was hundreds of Jews in the boat, Holocaust survivors. It's needless to say that they didn't have anything with them besides what they were wearing and maybe their feeling if they got lucky to bring. That's it. No money, no nothing. On the boats, coming to America. The Klosenburg Rebbe came and said, guys, I have one more pair of tzitzit and I want to give it to one of you. At least one more Jew will do the mitzvah. It's very important mitzvah every second. Every second mitzvah, tzitzit under the clothes, doing nothing, like wearing a t-shirt. Every second, one, two, three, free of charge. So, I'm going to make a lottery. He said, I'm going to do a lottery. What's the lottery? I'm going to put, you know, a number here, numbers. Each one of you will take a number, and we pick up a number. And the one who will have the number will get the tzitzit. One guy was suffering so much that he doesn't have tzitzit, he had one very dirty shirt. Remember, there's no showers on the boats. The shirt is black from the sweat, from the dirt. He took a piece of glass, he cut his shirt from the right, he cut his shirt from the left, he opened it up, one shirt he has. And he said, Rabbi, now I have four corners to my shirt. I must have a tzitzit from the Torah, you have to give it to me. They don't have an obligation. Why? Because they don't have four corners. If you give them the tzitzit, they'll do the mitzvah, but they don't have right now. But I must get it from you, because I don't have anything else to wear. Now the rabbi has a dilemma. He says, you know, you're right, but there's only one problem. I already announced, I made like a nether. I announced that I'm making a lottery. You brought yourself into the situation. It's not my fault. I'm very sorry. I saw, a, I saw an interesting question. One Jew lent money to a Goy. And the Goy, it was in a time of the Maharshag, a few hundred years ago. 
And the guy said to the Jew, if you come one more time to ask for your money, or you sue me in court, I have a Sefer Torah in my house that I stole one time from a shul, and I'll burn the Sefer Torah. One more time you knock on my door, you should know right away from the window I'm going to throw the Sefer Torah burning. That you see, I'm not joking. He came to the rabbi to ask what to do. He owes him a lot of money, the goy. What do you think the answer was? Get the money and let the Sefer Torah be burned by the goy? The answer after the lecture. So, the rabbi said, I made a lottery. I made a lottery. I'm sorry. He said, but if you're such a tzaddik like I think you are, Hashem has to give you the tzitzit. Nobody else ripped his clothes. Guess what? Hundreds of people, his number came out. What a kiddush Hashem. From all the people on the boat, his number came up. Yes, Hashem or in Hashem? No. Yeah, what do you think? No. Even though there's Hester Panim, Hashem is hiding himself. Once in a while, he opens a window and you see. That's why we say, Enaim laem velo iru. Some of us have eyes, but we cannot see. Oznaim laem velo ishmau. Ears, but they don't refuse to listen. Pe laem velo idaberu. Like mute. They have a mouth. And they don't use it. I saw a nice chidush. You know, before we finish, I'll give you a few great things for you to take to Yom Kippur. Rav Yafe. Rav Yafe and his brother, Holocaust survivors. They ran to the forest to hide with the partisans. Partisans were people who have weapons and they live in a forest fighting against the Germans. There were two kinds of partisans, Jews and non-Jews. Usually it was goyim separately, Jews separately. Partisans, goyim, partisan Jews. So it was rare to find Jews and non-Jews mixed in their fighting against the Germans. But Rav Yaffe and his brother didn't find a group of Jews and they only had Polish, Polish goyim and they joined them. And you know, even if you hate your friend, and both of you hate somebody else, you become lovers. Why? You have a mutual enemy. So the Polish partisans and the Jews partisans, they hate one another. But since they hate the Germans more, they became brothers. That was the story. So now they live in a forest, and they always have somebody on the highest tree, he has binoculars like this, and he looks if the Germans are coming. Then he screams, the Nazis are coming! They're coming! Everybody started to run. They run, run. The Jews run. The brothers, they run. The Goim runs. They run, okay. After 10 minutes of running, or half an hour, whatever it was, then Rav Yafia said to his brother, wow, we forgot to take the tefillin. They were hiding the tefillin that nobody would know where. We forgot to take the tefillin with us. So he tells to he say to his brother, now let's think for a second. If we go back to take the tefillin, there's a very high chance we're going to get killed, because the Nazis already came to that camp. If we stay here without tefillin, how can we live one day without tefillin? 
Are you with me? He said, absolutely. Let's go back. So they tell the Polish people, we have to go back. We forgot something. Crazy. The goyim, we're crazy. It's a certain death. They'll, they'll butcher you. Forget it. No, they try to hold them. No. OK. They ran back to the camp. They see the Germans are passing by. They went around. They got the tefillin. After the Germans disappear, they come back to where they were, and they see all the Cossacks, all the, the Polish are all slaughtered. The Nazis attacked them from the other side and killed all of them. They ambushed the camp where they ran to. It's two groups. The only two that got saved is those that went to search for the tefillin. You know, one guy, speaking about not letting them go, one guy wanted to marry a Goya. Shomer Shabbos Jew wants to marry a Goya. Did you hear such a thing? No. No? Yeah. Come to me, I'll show you how many hypocrite <coughs> Jews we have. They come to the synagogue on Shabbat, and they have girlfriends on the internet, Goyot. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Don't look at me like this. Trust me when I tell you. Oy laem yom adin from being fakers like this. A Jew that loves Hashem, he comes to the synagogue, he comes to learn Torah, he listens to lectures, and then he has Christine and his girlfriend chatting with her in the internet. Hi, Christine, how are you today? Did you dye your hair blonde yet? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what's going on today. Not only going to the movie a minute after the judgment, so he wants to marry the Goya. His friends are begging him, you Jew, you Jew, how are you going to do such a thing? He said, I can't, I can't live without her. So guess what? So they say, okay, she lives in London. He's going to fly to London to marry her? Who knows where? So his friends say, okay, come say goodbye to us. He came to them. They got him into the room. They talk. Oh, they pushed him in. They ran, they locked the door of the room. He's locked in a room. True story. He bangs, he says, I have a flight in three hours. Open the door. He screams, he cries, he cares. Bang, banging, screaming. You're not getting out of here. That's it, we lock you in. One day, the flight is over. The wedding was supposed to be the next night. The next day, he's still in a room. They push him under the door, some food to eat, or throw from the window, whatever. Few days, they kept him in a room. After they knew for sure the wedding is finally canceled, all the British came with their bow ties to the place. The Jew did not show up. <laughs> they let him go. Don't talk to me. You're not my friends. Who are you to decide? You know, he screams. He called up. His friend, the girlfriend, as soon as she picked up the phone, she started to curse all the Jews. You dirty Jew, what did I do with you? She started to curse him. And <laughs> said, why, why are you saying like this? My friends locked me in a room. Say, what? Now I even hate you more. Don't tell me this lies, this, that. Curse his mother, curse the rabbis, curse everyone. He came to his friends and said, wow, how blind I was. I, I was about to marry this Nazi girl. What she told him about the Jews. <laughs> this, is the, this is these guys. 
They marry them, and a month later they open up their eyes and see what's going on. They're not thinking about one thing. They're gonna marry this Goya. They'll have Goyim kids. One of them will be Adolf Hitler. What do you think? Another 50 years. Grand, grandson, grand, grandson, 10 generations. There will be another Eichmann. What do you think? This is a Goy and this is a Goy. It's no different. One of them will murder Jews. One of them will stand in the United Nations screaming against Jews. His grand, grand, grandmother was you. The Shomer Shabbos Jew. They're not thinking. And then they're going to have to pay for every Jew that was murdered because they brought that guy to the world. They don't think about this. They only think about the desire. Six months, Christine, Jennifer, how are you? Six months later, no. The spell is wearing out. Now reality hits him very hard. So, Nazis are not the only enemies of the Jews. The communists in Russia, they against every religion. In Russia, Jews could not keep religion. That's why many Russian Jews, the poor guys, they came out of Russia, they don't know anything. It was against the law to learn Torah. One time the communist group are gathering into convention across the street from Novardok Yeshiva. The Saba from Novardok, the head of the movement of the Musar, his students say, Rabbi, tomorrow all the communist soldiers are coming to this hotel across the street. There will be hundreds of soldiers here. If they hear from the windows that we learn Torah here, they'll kill us all. What should we do? Should we run away from here for a few days? What would you say? Bikuach nefesh. Rabbi Novar from Saba from Novardok say nobody moves from his book. Sit and learn. Nobody will touch you. In our yeshiva we learn the Shem Shamaim. Nobody will touch us. Don't worry. Two guys went to the room the next day to hide in a closet. They went in the closet and closet. You know, like the guy, one moment, every time the bus was passing by, the door of the closet was opening. You heard that joke or no? <laughs> so every time the bus passed by, it vibrates the area, the closet opens. She called up the carpenter. She said, listen, I have a problem. So he comes with his tools. He goes into her bedroom. He looks, he checks the closet. He says, listen, from the outside, I cannot see anything. I have to go inside the closet and see what happened to the lock when the bus passed by. Okay? So it may take a few minutes. She said, okay, go ahead. He goes into the closet, he closed the closet, now he's checking to see when the bus comes by. Bad luck, her husband didn't feel good. In the middle of the day, he walks into the house, right away he wants to go into his bedroom. He goes into his bedrooms, he goes into his bedrooms, he comes, opens the closet to take a towel, he sees the guys inside the closet. So what are you doing? He said, if I tell you I'm waiting for a bus, you believe me? <laughs> I'm waiting for a bus to check the luck. In Hebrew, you say, you're right, but there's nobody to justify it. 
So the Russians, the Russians came with a weapon. They hear noise from the building. What are they doing? They go with their weapon inside the building. They walk into the yeshiva. The commander says, if you see Jews learning Torah, kill all of them. Don't arrest them. They come in with a gun. They never saw yeshiva in their life. They thought it's like in a library. You go, you put a, a needle falls on the floor, you hear it. Library, everything is quiet. It can be 100 people over there, everyone in his book. They went inside the yeshiva, screaming. One guy standing like this. The other one is like this. You know, yeshiva. <laughs> screaming, banging on the thing. I, I used to read a chevruta, chassid. Tzadik, talmid chacham. You know, red hair, they have short fuse. Red hair. If you get on their nerve, so, and I used to say something in the Gemara I didn't like. He said the opposite. We begin to argue. If I repeat it twice, the same stupid thing that I said, for the second time, you should see what used to happen to him. He used to jump like this. <laughs> just, so that's what they saw. They see all this Hasidim, Novardok, screaming, jumping. <laughs> so the soldiers say, wait, 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 don't shoot. There's a rule in Russia. If somebody kills a, a crazy person, it's execution. It's against the law to kill crazy people because it's against the united law of the world, the United Nations. Serious, real story. They came down to the commander, they said, no, it's crazy people. <laughs> so, oh, you're lucky, you didn't shoot, we get into trouble. Okay, leave them alone. Okay, on the way out, the two guys from the closet they thought it's over, so they came around the building. When the soldiers were leaving, they see two Jews going. They see the two Jews holding books in their hand. Ta -ta -ta -ta, they kill both of them. True story that happened. So the Saba Minovardok told his student, you see what happened when you don't trust Hashem? Those who sat and learned Torah, the guns were already pointed at them. And Hashem made the Russian soldier think they're crazy. That's it. And the other ones <coughs> that got up from the book ended up very bad. The Midrash says a story about Rav Kahana. Listen to this. We finish with this. And then I'll give you maybe some time for questions. The Midrash says, Maaseh be Rav Kahana. Rav Kahana was a big Chacham close to 1800 years ago. Shebno Salik, he had a son, his name was Salik. Begil Chamesh, age five, he wants to send his son to learn Torah. It wasn't like today, the yeshiva is two blocks away. There was no school buses. So if you want to learn Torah, you go to a place far away with a boat or something, and you stay there for years. Cannot come back and forth. Dad, I want to come for Sukkot. Okay, I'll order you a ticket. $1,500. Come to Sukkot, goes back to Israel. Dad, Pesach. That's how it goes. But in the old days, cannot come. What, are you going to come on a donkey? <laughs> okay. So now, he said to the wife, I'm sending Salik to this yeshiva far away for a few years. The wife, I think she was Bukharian mother, she went crazy. What? You're sending my son out of the house on my dead body. You want, you go. You keep him here with me. So what? We want to teach him Torah. No. For a few days he's begging her. She doesn't want. 
He takes her to the rabbis. They can't convince her. So, okay, I want to give you a get. She said to him, why? Did you find any defect in me? I'm not pretty enough for you? Just two days ago you said how beautiful I am and you love me and everything. Why you want to give me a get? The Torah says, If you saw something negative about your wife, something disgusting, no, you have a point. Somebody was hiding it from you and you didn't know. Okay, but here, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with my opinion. I refuse to accept your get. The rabbis, they're fighting, arguing. In the end, the rabbis say, okay, let's compromise. Would you agree that he's going to hire a teacher to come and stay by your house, give him a room, and he's going to teach the boy every day? She said, you know what? Yes. I prove to him I have nothing against the Torah. I just don't want to be away from my son. So I said, okay. You bring him a lamed. She's going to cook for them every day. She will serve them drink, food. So they made a deal. Okay. So he brought them a lamed. 25 years. They didn't come out of that room, him and the melamed. We got two and a half hours. <sighs> Shifra, hi, how are you today? What a half day I had. Wow, I just, my head is exploding. Why? I learned two and a half hours now. <laughs> prepare, prepare dinner. I'm dying to get home already. Oh, this Rabbi Mizrahi is stretching the lecture more and more. I can't take this anymore. You wait, you wait. When we get there, you're going to hold me and say, why didn't you speak until the morning, you fool? Why only two hours? You know how much we're earning by listening to Torah. Why you only made the lecture two hours? Those who made it one hour, you destroyed them. <laughs> At least I said two hours. <laughs> okay. 25 years. After 25 years, he knows the whole Torah, this Salik. He's 30 years old. <coughs> the Melamed left, and he goes for the first time in his life to the market. You know, the market, they sell merchandise. He comes to the market. He sees a Jew with yarmulke and a beard selling drinks. You know, drinks. Cherry, this, pineapple, whatever drinks they sell. He doesn't have a penny. He was learning all his life. He comes to him, he sounds very thirsty. It was a hot day. Would you give me a glass for free? The guy said, for free? What, I'm your father? You have to pay, it's my business. He said, yeah, but I was learning Torah for 25 years. He thought, when this Jew will hear that he learned Torah for 25 years, he'll bow down to him. That's what he should have done. But this fool doesn't understand Torah, so he said, I'm very sorry. The Torah that you learned was good for you. What does it have to do with me? It's five shekel. Pay. So the kid is still naive. You know, 25 years, he didn't see anybody since he's five years old. Didn't come out of the room. He got so offended, he went back home crying. He ripped his clothes threw pieces of his clothes. He was very frustrated. So his father is nervous. He said, what happened? He said, I made a mistake. I should have gone, and, you know, like today, I should have gone to college, learn a job, do something, make some money. What, what do I want? I cannot buy a drink. I wish I would know that it's going to be like this. Nobody appreciated the Torah there in the market. 
They don't care. So his father knew what is he going to do now. Now he said, I want to I wanna leave everything and I want to go learn a job now. Tell me where I should go and become a worker. He wants to leave everything. So his father had a precious diamond that he was hiding. He said to him, come, come. I want you to do me a favor. You want to go into business? Okay, here, take this diamond. And I'm going to send you to the market where you went today to buy drink. Go and offer it to all the owners of the booth and write down how much they're offering you for this diamond. And come tonight and, we'll, and I'll give you further instructions. He, got, he, got, he comes to the first guy, he show him the diamond, the diamond worth fortune. The guy says, okay, I'll give you $2,000 for it. So he write it down. The cherry boot, 2000 Goes to the clothing, how much? 2200 he writes. Goes to the next one, 5000 he writes. Goes to the one, $100, he write it down. He went all over the boots, he wrote how much they're offering for the diamond. He say, now, tomorrow I'm sending you to a different market. This market, it's called 47th Street. <laughs> over there, there's diamonds, gold. The Bukharian, they smell the gold from one mile away, they know how much it worth. Over there, you see how much money they'll offer you. The next day, he comes to the market with his diamond. He comes to Mr. Borokhov. He looks at the diamond. <laughs> his diamond, it's worth a million dollars. He says, I'll give you half a million for it. He write it down. I go to Mr. Gavrielov. Mr. Gavrielov, $555,555. And he goes like this. He write it down. $400,750. They offered him yesterday $400,000, $200,000, He comes back to his father. He says, two different worlds. He says, you know why I send you with this diamond to those two markets? In this world, you have professionals that know what they're saying, and you have fools that they don't know. When you went to that idiot that was selling uh, 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 juice, what does he know about Torah? You give him a diamond, he offers you $400, the same guy. It's worth a million dollars. He offers you 400 for it. Because he doesn't know the value of the diamond. You want him to know the value of Torah? When you went to a market that they know the value of the diamond, you saw completely different prices. This is the difference between knowing what Torah is to not knowing what Torah is. One guy, when he learns Torah, somebody offers him a job for $10 an hour. He gets up and closes the book. Oh, finally, I found a job. The next guy, $4,000 an hour, he doesn't want to get up. Why? He knows what the Torah says is true. What David HaMelech wrote in Tehillim? At least 50 times. You give me all the wealth and the gold in the world, your Torah, it's worth it for me much more than that. It's like a jewels, it's like diamonds, it's like this, it's like that. The Torah, it's not uh, Bialik. You know, Bialik used to, to write songs for the kids. Ken Latsipor, Ashafan Kibel Nazelet. The Torah, it's a divine words, you know. If Hashem said the Torah, it's worth more than anything you can think of, it's 100% real. The two hours that you sit and learn Torah, how many mitzvot you do just before Yom Kippur? Who knows how many mitzvot you just did in the last two hours? No, who can tell me to calculate how many mitzvot you did in the last two hours? I'll do it for you. Chafetz Chaim is good enough for you? This is what the Chafetz Chaim says. In one minute, 
A person say 200 words in average. Each word has an average five letters. So it's a thousand letters a minute. Multiply by an hour, it's 60,000 letters. Two hours, 120,000 mitzvot in two hours that you've been sitting here tonight. Now be honest with you. Some of you are 20, some of you are 30, some of you are 50. Raise your hand and tell me, besides lectures, if you can count your entire life that you made 120,000 mitzvot. Your entire life. Kept Shabbat, no one mitzvah. Eat kosher four, five times a day with bracha, five more mitzvot. Pray three times a day, three times more mitzvot. No, what else? You slaughter an animal, you made a bracha, no another mitzvah. If you slaughter an animal, if you take a chicken and you slaughter the chicken, what can, what's the next mitzvah required to, to prepare before sand and cover the blood? Why? Because the blood of the chicken is the, it's the spirit, the soul. One guy went to do a slaughtering, and when the blood was spilling on the floor, the sand was ready. By the time he bent down to pick up the sand, his friend picked up the sand, made the bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kiddishanu Yitzvotav Etzivanu, Al... Kisui Adam, oops, he spilled the blood, the sand on the blood, and he covered it. And this guy got very angry. Hey, that was my mitzvah. It's my chicken. I slaughtered it. I prepared the sand. It's one mitzvah and another mitzvah from the Torah. I'm suing you now. You're laughing. It's a true story. He took him to court. What's the halacha say? Guess what? He has to give him a sarah zubim, like $10,000. For what? For stealing the mitzvah from him. Think mitzvah is a joke? When it comes to mitzvot, all of us are generous. You go first. No, give him. You go first. Here, good luck. Whatever he give, I'll give the rest. Why? Because nobody believes in the reward of Hashem. If you believe in the reward of Hashem, you let somebody else take the mitzvah? You kill for it. You won't give it. Especially when somebody steals $5 from you in a business, you're ready to destroy him. For 20 years, you fight against his family. Why? He gave you a bound check, $500. <laughs> 20 years, you hang the check on the wall. Every time you see it, you're ready to kill the guy when you see him. But if he stole a mitzvah from you, how lucky I am. <laughs> he paid for it, not me. You give, you give. Ah, the last hour of Yom Kippur, Ladies and gentlemen, spill your soul out of your body. Don't be embarrassed to cry. Don't be embarrassed to scream. Prepare on a piece of paper before Yom Kippur. All the things that you think you did wrong, and you have to ask Hashem to forgive you, to make, to make promises, what you're going to correct. If you have special requests, spiritual requests. Not only money, 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 parnasa, parnasa, parnasa. Hashem is sick and tired of this already. 99.9% of the, of the prayers, Hashem, parnasa, business is bad. My landlord wants to raise the rent. That's why people cry all the time. Cry that your children will be tzaddikim. Cry that you will be able to win against your yetzerara. Ask to be strong, to, be, to keep all the mitzvot, to pray in the shul, to come on time, to have kavana in your prayers. 
to be generous, to win your bad traits, to correct your negative personality if you're angry, if you're stingy. This is what we came to the world for. To stop watching all these dirty things in the internet and on the television and in the newspapers all the time. A woman covering her hair like the Baba Sali all day on the internet watching guys. Then she wonder why she suffers so much the entire year. People think Hashem is a joke sometimes. Hashem will understand. I always tell people, whenever you have a doubt, if heaven and hell exist, just stop for one minute and review what happened five years in Auschwitz. What happened over there? Go get a movie about the Holocaust, what the Germans filmed, and see what Hashem did to six million Jews. Only 80% of them rebelled against him. 20% was still keeping his mitzvot. They also went to the ovens. You know why? Because they didn't save the other 80%. If a religious guy is only religious for himself and his family and not for the neighbors and his cousins and his friends, it's really showing that he's egoistic. I only care about myself. What about your Jewish friend? You grew up with him. You became Baal Shuvah and he's still like a goy. If you don't save him today, one year from now he's going to marry Christine. Ten years from now he's going to bring destruction to, you, to the Jewish nation. It's guaranteed. It's not him, the other one. If not him, the other one. Who are the biggest enemies of the Jews in a history? The Jews. Who brought more distractions to us than us? Who? Read in history how many things happened to us. How Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. Kamsa bar Kamsa. Read the story in Masechet Gitin. He ran to the Romans to tell about, about the rabbis. Millions of Jews were slaughtered because of him. I can give you hundreds of examples. Hundreds of examples. So... should know every little thing that we do, everything, needed the approval of Hashem. There's one yeshiva in Israel in the south that was struggling financially, very bad, fighting not to close. Most of the yeshivot in the world, unfortunately, are in this situation. And they get a phone call. The mashgiach pick up the phone, the supervisor, a non-religious guy is calling and he say he wants to make a generous donation to the yeshiva. No, that looks like a joke. He's suspecting maybe it's a joke. Maybe he's fooling him. He said, how did you hear about our yeshiva? You see from the way he talked that he's not a ben Torah. The language of a religious guy and a non-religious guy in Israel in less than 10 seconds, you know right away who you're dealing with. Why? How do you know? When a non-religious guy called a rabbi in Israel, he says, Shalom, he speaks to him in direct language. You want me? When a religious guy called, he said, the rabbi wants me to do such and such. Right away from the first word, he see if he knows manners between a person to a rabbi or not. Or from the language that they speak, Baruch Hashem, Imir Hashem, you know, religious people have their own texts. So you see, it's not a religious guy. Why would a non-religious guy call a yeshiva and wants to give donations? That's already suspicious. 
And now he asks him, where did you get our information from? He said, from the newspaper. Now he's thinking it's probably the IRS. As a newspaper, we did not put any advertisement in a newspaper. So he asked him, what newspaper? I don't recall that in the last few years we had anything in the newspapers about our yeshiva. So this guy is starting to lose his patience. He said, Rabbi, what is all this investigation now? Do you want my money, yes or no? The rabbi said, no, no, don't get me wrong. I didn't say we don't want your donation. I'm just curious to know how you got to me, to see, you know, Ashgacha, this. He said, I don't know. There's a newspaper here. I, I'm, in a, I'm by the barber right now. I was waiting for my turn. There's a bunch of newspapers here. I'll tell you which newspaper. He gets the newspapers out. He tells him the name of the newspapers. He, he hears silence on the other line. This rabbi almost fainted. He said, okay, come over. We'll meet. When he comes to meet with him, he, he takes him around to see the yeshiva, the dorms, see how people learn Torah. They, give, they have a bet tamchui, they give poor, uh, food for the poor people. So he said, you know, I wanted to give you $80,000. This is many years ago. Many years ago, double the amount, inflation. So he said, but now when I see it in my eyes, I make it even, $100,000. So the rabbi says to him, you know the newspaper that you saw by the barber shop was printed three weeks only, and they went bankrupt after that. The money that they started the newspaper with wasn't enough. They closed. Do you know how many years ago was it? Fifteen years ago. They made an article about us. They sent a photographer. He took pictures. They wrote about what we do here. That was 15 years ago. Not one person gave us a penny. I was thinking to myself 15 years ago, when I was still black, beard, not like today. White. Nobody came from this article. Now you're coming to me after 15 years, you see, you just saw it yesterday by the barber shop. The barber shop heard that newspaper in a pile there for 15 years. For this guy to open up his eyes and see and give him $100,000. Coincidence? 15 years, he doesn't throw the newspaper. And the guy didn't pay attention to the date. You know, they put the dates in the bottom. He thought it's a current newspaper. The number did not change everything for that moment. Everything for that moment. Ay, 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 ay. What's the difference between us and the animals? All the animals walk on four. We walk on two. But we also have four. But we walk only on two. Why? Because the person needs his hand to do mitzvot. Animals, they only use their hands to do physical things. To eat, to attack, to jump on the trees, to swim. Not to do mitzvot. That's why they always walk on four. A person, his hands is always free that he'll be able to do mitzvot. If he needed to walk on his hand, how is he going to put filin? How is he going to hold the sidur? He needs to stand with four. Every animal doesn't have a chin. Their mouth is in the bottom of their face. Why? Because they bend down to eat from the floor. If they had a chin, it would hit the floor. It would be very hard for them to reach the things that the grains that they have on the floor. 
A person that brings the food into his mouth, Hashem made him a chin, because the chin is like a sack to put the food in. Everything has a reason, but nobody thinks why. Every animal that eats from the ground has a long neck. Giraffe, all the other animals, they stretch their neck, it's become very long because they need to reach the ground easy. Giraffe, whatever. A person doesn't need long neck because he doesn't have to bend down to eat. He brings the food into his neck. So everything is planned exactly the way a person should. But people, people do not think about anything. They take everything for granted. Everything they take for granted. Two Moroccans, Arab, neighbors, Arabs, Moroccans or Tunisians, I'm not sure. One of them wants to go out of Morocco and come back in a month. He asks his neighbor to watch his field. They have a field. In between the two fields, they have some trees. When the other Arab comes back after a month, he sees that his field became a lot smaller. He look at the trees, it looks the same, the trees. I say, well, how come I, what's going on here? So he comes to his neighbor and says, what, you tricked me? You moved the trees. What are you talking about? He says, yeah, what? I see my field is much smaller. He saw him in court. What was court a hundred years ago? The king. They take him to the king. The king is a judge. So the king asked, he said, your honor, please come and see if there is any signs that I stole anything from him. The same trees, you can ask the neighbors, the same trees are there. The king sent somebody there, and the person said, I don't know, I don't see any signs of work in the ground. But he moved the trees. So the king knew that he has one big chacham, Rav Yitzchak Tayeb, big chacham. And he was friendly with him. They wrote the book, Erech HaShulchan, one of the classier books ever been written in Jewish history. Rabbi Ovadia Yosef says, someone that has this book in his house, he has unlimited amount of blessing in his house. In everything he does, he's successful. Just having it on a shelf, it's hard to get this book. What book is that? Erech HaShulchan. Erech, not Aruch HaShulchan. Erech HaShulchan. Aruch HaShulchan is also a very important halacha book, but he's talking about Erech HaShulchan. So, he comes to Rav Yitzchak Tayeb. Say, wait, wait, Rabbi, King, relax. Let's go to the place, all of us together. They came to the place. He asked the neighbor that went away, the Arab, he said, bring me your donkey. The donkey that you used to plow the ground. Bring me your donkey. He took the donkey. He hit the donkey in the back. The donkey started to run. He said to the king, whenever the donkey will stop, because the donkey is used to go back and forth. Where the donkey will stop, we will have to dig under the ground over there. The donkey went, started to go to become, you know, the trees now are, you know. The donkey got confused. Territory was changed. So the donkey is standing over there. <laughs> so Rav Yitzchak said, dig, dig under here. They started to dig, they saw all the old roots of the trees. They moved everything. 
He moved the trees. He took them out, but parts of the roots stayed in the ground. So he caught them. And all the Arabs saw, they couldn't think about it. But this rabbi was such a chacham. He knew the donkey is here for 20 years, living in this territory. The animals know. This is what I'm used to do, back and forth. If the animals know, why don't we know? Bezrat Hashem, I want to finish, first of all, wishing everyone Shana Tova. Thank you for your patience that you stayed for longer than usual. And uh, you do yourself a favor, you still not necessarily knows it yet. We have tzitziot here, free of charge, courtesy of great Jewish people, not rich people. Great Jews that wants to help others by giving them the opportunity to put this tzitzit under the clothes if you're embarrassed from your boss or from your friends or from your parents or from your family, whatever the case may be, pull it under your clothes, put everything inside. It's like a regular t-shirt. They have even t-shirts with strings. You fold the strings, you can put them in a bag or something, you put it in your pocket, whatever. It's under. Every second is mitzvah. Plus, it's protection. If you saw my first movie from 10 years ago, Divine Information, they show in the end 15 minutes of life after life. One guy was speaking in a microphone. He had a horrible accident. All his body fell to parts. They brought his jaw, jaw in, a, in a bucket to the hospital. Later, after he was hospitalized, pieces from his body flew all over. His, 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 uh, his uh, knees, knees broke, kneecaps, his elbows came dislocated, his shoulder dislocated, his elbows dislocated. Every part of his body is broken and dislocated. From here to here, not one scratch. They showed the car, how the car looked. And he said, I had a tzitzit. All the body is grinded. From here to here, the liver, the heart, the kidneys, everything in place. The tzitzit saved him. The tzitzit saved. The tzitzit is a protection for a person. Not only is protection from physical tragedies, it's helping the person that wants to do a sin when he's about to go and make a sin. He sees the tzitzit. He's embarrassed. Same thing yamaka. Once you put the yamaka on, you cannot do whatever you want on the street like before. When you walk and Christine pass by, until now, you don't care. You may be Shomer Shabbat, you go like this until you hit the pole. <laughs> but now when you have a yamaka, you're embarrassed. What is this? Ma'achilul Hashem. They say, they say like me, I'm religious and I'm turning around like this. What is this? The yamaka is a great protection. One day you're stuck on the highway, Somebody sees you with the Amaka, two minutes later, five cars stopping by. Why? Any religious guy that passed by, thank you. Any religious guy that's passed by, see somebody stuck right away. You need a phone. Let's call. There's a group called Haverim. Haverim. You call them, right away they come, they change your flat tire. You need cables, they come. Jews, the greatest thing on earth. Where are you stuck? Five minutes will be there. No matter when, Erev Chag, five minutes before Yom Kippur, you call them. They have somebody volunteering the area. He comes, he help you out. Free of charge. You offer them money? No, no. If you want, send donation to the organization. They don't take money. Hatzala. So many other gmachim. You need a crib. 
בגידיו קריב. פסיפייר, לאיפה יהיו? בוקס, גט, תהילים, גמח תהילים. You make a party in your house for Shabbat, you need סידורים. You call somebody bring the סידורים. That's what Hashem loves, you understand? Unity, together, not everything business, money all the time. Now we have only a few days left. I inspired each one of you to take advantage on those few days to give a lot of tzedakah. Don't fool yourself, economy is bad, business is bad, we cannot make, what's going to be with us, don't worry. Now Hashem is going to sign the verdict. The verdict was made already. Now you are like in appealing, appealing your trial. Hashem decided, chas v'shalom, something not good for us. We have an opportunity between now and Yom Kippur to reverse everything. One of the best ways to reverse it, tzedakah. What's the best tzedakah that we can do for Jews? The best. Two. The best of all the best is to sponsor CDs and DVDs and then hand them to not religious people. One out of ten become religious. Whatever verdict Hashem wanted to give you, oh, don't touch this guy. He just saved my son. Like a king. The Chachamim brings an example. The prince is drowning in a lake. And you went by. You went by, and the prince is drowning. And you see the prince over there, you jump with your suit. You're swimming, you save the prince, you get him out, you bring him back in your car to the palace. The king sees you save his son, and he knows you have, he has an IRS file against you to put you 20 years in prison. Why? Because in the old days, they used to pay the tax to the king. The king sees your name, he checks in his computer. What does he tell the guy in charge? Come to my office right away. Make sure this guy doesn't get convicted. What? Your honor, your majesty. Tomorrow it's the final punishment. Tomorrow it's going to 25 years. We put him in the island with the bears. That's what they used to do. Or in a hole with the lions. Don't touch this guy. Do something. Make sure he doesn't get guilty. That's how it works. You show Hashem you care about his children. The angel comes to Hashem and says, How do you want to give chas v'shalom debt to this guy? Don't you see how many people depend on him? Don't you see how many souls his money saved that year? Don't you see how many people started to put filin in the last year thanks to his donations? Don't you see what's going on here? Don't you, don't you know all these people that he gave DVDs or sponsored DVDs? They went into a website, Torah Anytime, Divine Information, Pure Torah, Idabrut, there's hundreds of good websites for Kiruv. Don't you see? The Satan cannot make a beep against you. The Maharsha, hundreds of years ago, opened his name is in the Gemara. One student in a funeral of a wicked person. I once told that story. Don't ever forget this now before Yom Kippur. When they make the eulogy for that wicked Jew, one of the yeshiva guys came to his nose and tapped him on his nose and went like this. Rasha, wicked. And everybody laughed. In his funeral, they came to make fun of him and his body. At night, that yeshiva bachur goes to sleep, and this dead person comes to him in a dream. Menuval, I'm angry at you. I will destroy you. 
I will not give you one minute of rest until I take revenge against you. So what did I do? You embarrass me in front of all the people in my eulogy. So what's the big deal? I only hit you on your nose. No, everybody laughs. I can't forgive you. Every night like this. Can't fall asleep. He went to the Marsha, the biggest rav in this place. The Marsha said, how can it be? A wicked guy like this disturb a guy that sits and learns Torah all day? Something is not right here. I have to investigate. He went to be with him. <coughs> when you wake up, that means he came to you. This dead person. I'm going to start talking to him. Marsha has holy eyes. As soon as the guy jumped and started to scream, the Marsha said, hey, what do you want? Talk to me. What do you want from him? He sees his image, his spirit. I have one Bukharian woman that called me two years ago. She had a 16 years old girl, Bukharian girl, that has spiritual eyes. She goes upstairs to her bedroom. Every day she sees a girl sit on her bed. But the girl is a dead girl. It's only her spirit. Nobody else sees. The parents come, they look at the bed, they don't see anything. But she described the girl. She says she sits right here. Like this for months. One time, they hear screaming from upstairs, her and her husband. They run upstairs, they see their girl on the bed, her head going like this, left and right. It's like someone is holding her and choking her. She screams, and she's choking. They scream. All of a sudden, she opened up her eyes, and she said, wow. She started to cry. What happened? She said, this girl, somebody came to visit her today, a man with a hat, very bad man, and he saw that I'm here and he wanted to kill me. That's only one out of millions. There are millions of people in the world that can see things. Sometimes when you take pictures, the lens of the camera sees spirits. If you saw my lecture in the website, Life After Life, I show spiritual pictures that were detected by video and digital cameras, because the frequency of the lens it works very fast. The eyes cannot see. The Zohar says, if a person would see one second all the images around him in space, it will go crazy right away. Run to the yeshiva with his feet. You have a ride for me to Mansi? No ride. He begins to run. <laughs> Why? After he saw what's going on in the air. But Hashem didn't want, because it will eliminate the free choice. So what happened? The Maharsha tell the guy, why are you so upset at him? He say, didn't you see what he did to me in a funeral? So the Maharsha says to him, but how can somebody like you have permission from Hashem to disturb a guy that sit all day and learn Torah for years? You're wicked. So the guy said to the Maharsha, dear Rabbi, I'm not so wicked like you think. So what do you mean? You mechalel Shabbat, you eat refot, you walk without yamaka. You tell me you're not wicked? So the guy say, yes, you're right. Everything you say, I did. But there's one thing you don't know about me. So he say, what? One day I walked in the street next to the lake. And one Jew religious was swimming and started to drown. When I saw it, I jumped from the bridge and I saved his life. I got him out, and we started to talk. And I found out that he's a guy that learns Torah in Yeshiva, and he's poor. And I, I was a wealthy person, 
So since we became friendly, I saved his life, so I felt that I'm close to him. I started to send him money every month. Thanks to me, he was able to learn 20 years Torah, because I was sending him money every month. So when I came to my trial, it started very bad. All black angels screaming, angry, each one of them comes, you did this scene, you did that scene, it didn't end. I saw I'm finished. Then all of a sudden, one white angel came and said, excuse me, nobody can touch him here. Why? All of a sudden I started to see millions of white angels are coming. I look at all the black ones and I see so many white ones are coming. And they said this is all his children. And I didn't know, they're talking about me? How can it be? I know myself, I know I didn't make so many mitzvot. He said he sponsored this guy that said Torah, learned Torah, every mitzvah that this guy did goes to his file. This is all his mitzvot. And Hashem said, there's nothing I can do with him. It's teko, even. I cannot prosecute him, to good or to bad. So they ask me, what do you want? And I say, I want to take revenge against this Jew that hit me on the nose. And Hashem say, okay, you have permission to do so. And that's what I'm going to do. So the Maharsha told him, don't be a fool. This is a trap. He said, what do you mean a trap? He said, you just got saved from hell because you made millions of mitzvot by sponsoring this guy that learns Torah. So the Torah saved you. Now, if you kill a guy that learns Torah, you prevent him from many years of learning Torah. This will erase all the mitzvot that you made by sponsoring Torah. It will balance it out and you lose everything. And then the Satan will use it against you to say, you see, he doesn't care about Torah. If he cares about Torah, how can he kill yeshiva guy just because he hit him on the nose? And you lose your case. And he said to the rabbi, you're right. That's, that's probably what they want to do with me. And he left him alone, never came to him in a dream. What's the, the point in this picture, in this whole story? What's the point that we have to learn? That by saving others and helping them to do mitzvot, you're not helping them, you're helping yourself. Don't you worry that you lose. You don't lose. The more you give, it's like sending money, wiring money to overseas because you plan to move there next year. The more you send, the better your life they're going to be. But the difference between overseas to life of eternity, I don't have to tell you. Over there it's 20 years. Over there it's 20 billion years. It's not even the beginning. You will eat from these trees forever in Olam Abba by saving others. Don't be stingy. Help Kiruv. Kiruv means bringing Jews back. The only way that some of you are sitting here is because they received those DVDs. And they went to those great websites. I get hundreds of emails every month and phone calls from people. I went to see a debate and then I listened to this lecture and that lecture and I'm Shomer Shabbos. One guy told me my father started the communist movement in America. We were communists, anti-religion. I came to one of your lectures in New Jersey. I'm putting tefillin now. You know what it is for a guy like this to put tefillin? A guy that grew up communist? His father is the founder of communism in America. I can't wait for the next lecture. I said, go into the website. Why? I know one or two weeks in the website, finished. 
is going to send an email, I'm now Shomer Shabbos. That's how it works. You want to be a partner of this? Accept it now, before Yom Kippur. After, no, it will help you maybe for the next year, if we'll be around. You know, you know, the world is in an extremely critical situation. See what's going on today in the United Nations, Iran, the crazy one and the other crazy one. Before you realize, all of a sudden you hear an atomic bomb explode somewhere. Could be in Israel, could be here, we don't know. The Arabs don't care. They'll kill 70 million Iranians as long as they can kill one million Jews. History proves that they don't care. They commit suicide, they don't care. Even to kill one Jew, three, four Arabs killing themselves, in the end they kill one Jew, and they're happy. That's it. We say tamut nafshim plishtim, like Shimshon say, they say tamut nafshim Jews, as long as they can kill one Jew. Christians, they're not looking to kill us physically, not yet. They want to kill us spiritually. Missionaries everywhere, every corner around here. Every corner you walk here, you have hunters over here. To hunt Jews, Bukharian, Russians, Persian, anyone who doesn't know Torah, who doesn't read Hebrew, they hunt. Come, we'll help you with the rent. Come to our party on Sunday. Listen to this, they give you DVD. They have money, they don't make DVD for $5,000. They make DVD for $50,000 editing. The Christians are billionaires. Half of the United States they own. In the, lie, in the world of lies, the false controlling everything. But in the life, the world of Hashem, the next world, the truth comes out. Only here, temporarily, they're successful. That's what we say in Mizmor Shir Leom HaShabbat. Every Shabbat we say it. What are we saying? Ish ba'ar lo yeda, uchsi lo yavin et zot. An ignorant will not know, and a fool will never understand. What? Before wicked people are popping from all over. No, what's the rest? Before like weeds, everywhere. And those are the most wicked ones. They're even higher than all the other wicked ones. In the media, on television, in politics. They control all the bad. What's the rest? Moment before I destroy them for eternity, I let them rise temporarily. One year, 10 years, 20 years. What is it? Blink of the eye. Then I chop them out and they lose everything. What are you worried? What are you worried? Jews are suffering in this world, but the next world is endless pleasure. They enjoying here, over there they have nothing. The Jews started the week on Yom Rishon, Sunday. The last day of the week for the Jews is Shabbat. The light will be in the end, as the Torah says, to reward you in your end. The Christians, the Goim, they'll start the week on Sunday. That's the holy day. First day, it's great, and then they go down. We start down and we go up. Israel, start with Yud, finish with Lamed. Yud is the smallest letter, Lamed is the biggest. Start small, finish big. You understand? That's how it goes. It's just a matter of emunah. The more you learn, the more you feel that you're strong to follow Hashem's instruction. If you don't learn Torah every day, 
you have no chance, theoretical chance even, to succeed. No chance. Only by learning minimum two hours a day, minimum, you have a chance to become tzaddik. Without it, who's going to give you the strength against your desire, against your anger, against your laziness, against all the lies that are inside of you, against what you see on the street, against the desires that you have in the business to cheat, to steal? Who's going to give you the strength if you don't learn Torah? Just see how you feel after a lecture like tonight. If you come out now to the street and a poor person comes to you and say, help me, before the lecture, you give him a dollar. After the lecture, take $20. Why? Because the Musar, it's like antibiotic on the infection. It kills it. It's fresh. It's like boiling your heart right now. It's hot. You can do whatever you want with the metal when it's hot. Once it gets cold, cannot move it an inch. Please, don't forget, Yom Kippur, don't waste time. Be in the shul all day. If anybody here wants to join me on Yom Kippur, every year we do, this is the third year in a row, Bezrat Hashem, we do Yom Kippur in a house in Englewood, New Jersey, half an hour from here, right by George Washington Bridge. There's a very nice, righteous Jew that has a very big house with huge property. And we get a lot of guys, married or single, because Yom Kippur anyway, you don't see a wife. So even the married one can leave their wife with their in-laws one day or with the neighbor. Nothing will happen. One day on Yom Kippur, send your husband to make tshuva. It's good for you also. So if you want to join us, we learn a lot. We say the tefillot over there with me and Bezrat Hashem, some other people who already joined us from Queens. Anybody who wants to come with us to be there, we sleep there, of course. It's all in that house. It's the third year in a row. Please let me know, and you are more than welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you to Chazak and Bet Gabriel. Shana Tova. Tzitziot, anybody wants to put tzitzit right now, and we daven Arvit now, please.